ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ಮಸ್ವಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂದೇವಕೀಪರಮಾನಂದಗತ್ಗುರು so in the last class we were discussing the portion of shrimad bhagavad gita which is almost at the inception at the beginning where krishna has just started invigorating arjuna from the stupor in which he was immersed because of a type of nervous breakdown ensuring from the fact that he is going to face his kitankin his relatives in the battlefield who are just in front of him as his enemies and the first approach which bhagwan took was to open up the portal of the spiritual dimension of our existence by relating to which we can find the answers of the puzzles of life are getting solved without relating to that dimension the life is bound to come to a halt when we are passing through the maze of life we will find that we have ended up in a alley a dead alley where from where we cannot proceed anymore and then we have to look up and find that the way out is there if we can hold on to the hands of the lord instead of chasing horizontally in the plane of sunset existence and once we can raise our hands to the ever extended hands of the lord he is there to take us in his lap and make us feel that all this is just the passing phase which has a meaning as per its vyavaharika its day to day implications are involved it does have a meaning but as per the eternity of the soul it's just a passing phase it in no way affects the core of your existence it's just a joyous ride where we know for well for certain that just like a roller coaster it may make us feel that our existence is at peril but we know we have it sufficient measures has been taken when you are in a roller coaster sufficient measures has been taken that nothing is going to happen to you you may be taken almost at a 90 degree angle to the top and again you may fall almost at 90 degree 
but nothing is going to happen. You may be on a very, very steep curve, nothing is going to happen. And that instead of making us scared, gives us a thrill, a sense of adventure, that nothing is going to kill me. And that's the what happens with the ups and downs of life. Once we know we are eternal. And from that standpoint, when we are on the curves of life, we do feel the centripetal force, which is as if going us throw us away. But we know nothing is going to happen. Though we feel that force, the tangential forces, but we know that nothing is going to disturb my center of gravity, the core of my wing. So all the sufferings which do I do experience, I know that they come and then go. They are ephemeral. They in no way affect the real me. And so, though I experience them, it's not that there is a type of anesthesia. Yet I become senseless like a veggie. I experience everything. It is not going back in the state in the process of evolution back to the state of veggies or inanimate beings. It is evolving to a state where I am highly conscious, highly aware of the things happening, extremely sensitive, but detached. Nothing can affect me. As I know, I'm just the witness. The things happen, I don't react to them by in the form of in the form of being exhilarated by the happiness and by suffering because of the pains of life. So I have attained a state of equipoise. That's in Bhagavad Gita, will be repeated by Bhagavan again and again as the idea of samatvam yoga uchyate to attain that samatva that equipoise that balance whatever happens it doesn't affect me and that's what we were studying on the 15th sloka of the second chapter where bhagavan is indicating this fact what that yang hina vyathayantiyate purushan purushar shabha samadukha sukhang dhiram so amritatvaya kalpate. That the one who is not affected by the happiness or distress, which are bound to come when the parameters of our sunset existence, the calibration of our sunset existence goes to the extreme. I like the warmth of a cozy spring morning, but after just a few days, when the summer approaches and the temperature goes on increasing, the calibration of my senses to fill this temperature now makes me, you know, makes me feel miserable. And again, when the winter comes, the calibration of my senses to fill the temperature as it has gone down so cold, again, I feel miserable. So this is what Bhagavan is saying. That the senses are bound to react to the sensed pleasures because our senses are calibrated. Matras Parsha. It is calibrated. A particular range is favorable. Beyond that, it do gives us a shot of pain. 
within the range it is very uh, pleasant beyond the range it is always painful we experience that but don't be identified with that the more you are identified with the core of your being the self the more all these things are not going to affect you you allow them to enter in your life you accept them but don't get affected by them so that's the idea in this sloka that sama dukha sukham dhiram the dhira the word dhira here means that equipoise that calmness which comes from that wisdom by relating to the spiritual dimension of existence that's the dhira once you can do that just shift the awareness the level of your awareness from the sensate plane of existence to the spiritual plane that results in amritatva it's not that you gain amritatva you are already that we are forgetful about it it is always with us is a chamikar chamikar nyaya in sanskrit the necklace you are wearing is in your neck most probably it has got hidden under your the shawl which you are wearing and you are busy with some work and it gives you a feeling suddenly you look and you don't find the necklace as it is hidden behind your shawl and you go on frantically searching the necklace where it is the chamikar nay and i speak of and then someone sees a flash of the the shining the, the seeing the shine of the necklace in your neck from one corner and says it's there hanging it's there around your neck why you're searching after that and then suddenly you when one points out you remove the shawl and see oh it was already there i was forgetful about it somehow the ignorance has covered it and i thought i have lost it i was in search of it but it was always with me so this amritatva this in bhagavad gita we will find the words are very important <clears throat> bhagwan will speak of apti we generally use the word prapti prapti means to get something which i don't have prapti we all use that word in indian languages to get something which i don't have is prapti but in bhagavad gita we will find in the later chapters bhagwan will be using whenever the question of realization of the self comes <coughs> uses the word apti not prapti apti means praptas means uh, the thing which you already have you are forgetful about it and then suddenly you, you realize oh it is with me so that is apti to as if make your own the thing which was always already with you but you were forgetful about you about it so this apraptasya prapti is prapti the thing which is aprapta which i don't have that in all the ambitions of life i have to be a doctor i have to be an engineer i have to have wealth 
I am not at present a doctor. I am not present an engineer. I don't have wealth or any other profession for which I need the skills I don't have. I acquire them through my life. That is prapti, apraptas, the thing which is not with me, that I gain, that is prapti. And praptasya prapti, the thing which I already have, it is already with me. And I was forgetful about it. I get it back by being reminded of it. There are so many treasures hidden in our house. Sometimes we forget about it. A rich man sometimes forgets what all treasures he has. He himself doesn't know. So that Sri Ramakrishna was very fond of singing one song. The line goes like this. Kato muni pore ache chinta munir nach duare. The chinta muni, the precious stone. In, in the depth of hymns, that how much treasure is lying hidden. That sometimes we ourselves are forgetful about it. To regain back the awareness of that is the entire gamut of our spiritual journey. That's the be all and all of our spiritual journey. As in the last class, we were also indicating one of the slokas from the Kathopanishad. Yada sarve prabhidyante ridayasyeha granthayaha atha martyo amrita bhavati etavat adhi anushashanam. Etavat. This, is, this, this alone, alone is the teaching. What's that? Yada sarve prabhidyante. The heart has many knots, so many innumerable desires. These are the knots which are binding us. When you realize the, your identity with your absolute nature, that all those spikes, all those knots are actually knotted, tied to the hub of the will of your personality, that is your ego, the sense of this limited individuality. By being aware of your spiritual identity. This hub is as if removed and all the desires which were tied to this, knotted to this hub, they're bound to fall off. And then suddenly you find that the local conscious has become non-local. The ego boundaries has fallen off. You find that you are but that amnes is no more localized only within your psychophysical existence. You become as if all pervading, relating to all with empathy, love, affection. It's the ego boundary that doesn't allow us. And that's the thing which Bhagavan will be relating to Arjuna in the succeeding slokas. Now let us proceed to the next sloka where we will find Bhagavan Krishna is determining the nature of the reality. That is the quest of all philosophy, that what's the ultimate reality and what's its nature. 
And this is one of the very beautiful, significant sloka of Bhagavad Gita. That's where what is real, what is unreal, in a very, very specific way has been defined. That what that when we say sat, reality, what it means. Asat, unreal, what actually it means. So that's the thing which Bhagavan will be speaking of. Nasato vidyate bhava. Na bhava vidyate sataha. Ubhayorapi drishtonta. Stvanayo stattva darshivi. Na asato vidyate bhava. The unreal never is. Na asato, the asat. Na asato vidyate. It never, the bhava. It, bhava means to exist from bhava, it becomes bhava. Bhava means to exist. The bhava means the existence. There is no existence of unreal. Nas, nasato vidyate bhava. Na abhava vidyate sataha. And that which is real, that never ceases to exist. Ubhayorapi drishtonta stvanaya stattva darshapi. Darshapi. So the one who is bestowed with this knowledge, men possessed of this knowledge of this truth, this is tattva. So in Sanskrit, these words, these two words are very important: tattva and mata. Mata is opinion. These are hypotheses. There are many hypotheses. In science, we find that suddenly some hypothesis, someone places some hypothesis. It goes through a lot of experimentation. And then we find the hypothesis is not correct. It is replaced by some other hypothesis. And then suddenly we find, we find for decades, Pluto was our planet. It is no more a planet. It's gone. It's just one example. In science, we find that so many theories have been negated by the further research. So those are all mata, the things which may be negated, which can be negated. But there is certain truth which you can never negate. So that is tattva. So here Bhagavan is speaking of tattva in a very simple terms, which you cannot negate. That what is sat and what is asat. Anything that is going through changes is asat. And that doesn't exist. Do you ever feel the scenes which you are seeing on the screen projected by your projector, do they exist? Do you ever feel? I never feel. I know they are mere something which is passing. They don't have any existence. We feel my house is something which exists. Why? It is standing there. But is it really existence? Few days back we experienced earthquake. That the constant, the tectonic plates, the movements are going on. It's a delusion to think that the earth is stable. It's constantly moving. The earth is revolving around the sun. It's revolving around its own axis. And even within itself, 
just like the way the ocean water is constantly moving. The plates are constantly moving. Everything is in motion. So our sense of reality of existence that it is permanent is a delusion. It appears for the time being as if it exists, but it is in motion. Nothing is here which is still. And that's the thing which is experienced, which is explained through the Tandavanritta of Shiva, the Nataraja Shiva, the dance of Shiva. He is dancing, dancing incessantly, tremendous movement. That's the dance of the universe. Nothing is still, everything is appearing to be so calm and quiet and as if fixed, still, not moving. The table in front of me is something hard, solid. But even the modern science will say you, constant motion of the electrons, all the subatomic particles in a vehement motion is going on. The motion which we can never perceive, it is the limitation of our senses. Nothing is still, everything is in motion. But the Nataraja's dance, what it signifies? He is in a tremendous state of motion, <coughs> but that motion, sorry, is rhythmic. That's why it's dance. Two things, that the change is going on, but the change has a rhythm. It all follows the laws, that all the electrons moving around in the within the atom, they do follow certain laws. The planets are unceasingly moving. They do follow certain laws. The gravitation, the electromagnetic laws, these all bind, the, regulate the motion. They're all within certain rhythm. So Shiva's dance, he's dancing at extremely uh, violent type of dance, Tandava, but it is in rhythm. It's not out of rhythm. There's an exuberance of energy exuberance of power, of strength, but still it is in rhythm. Nothing can take him beyond the rhythm. That's one thing. And if just beyond the motions, if you look at the face of Shiva, you will find perfect serenity that all these tremendous movements in no way is affecting his serenity, his calm and quiet. And in his hand, there are two mudras, Vara, Abhaya. He's as if assuring all that don't be afraid of the motion. Within this, behind that motion, that perfect serenity is there. So that's the thing which we find even in the Planck Institute of France, the Nataraja Mukti is there. Because they found it's a wonderful concept that nothing is actually stationary. And what all these things which are not stationary, in one word in the scripture has been told, they are not permanent. They're constantly flowing. But then is nothing permanent? Is everything as a flow? No, there is something who is behind all this change. Seeing which the Shiva is in the tranquility, he has the tranquility, in spite of all the motion, that serenity on his face, is his, in spite of all the movements, of all the flow that is going on, 
his awareness is somehow fixed to that unchangeable reality hooked onto which the, all the motions happens. The will may be moving, but the hub is the thing in the center which on which all the based on which all the movements are happening. There has to be something unmoving at the core based on which all the movements are possible. And that's the one which ever exists beyond all the changes is the one which is Sat. So this is a wonderful way the scripture determines Sat and Asat. The simple definition and that is not a matter, that is Tattva. As the scripture is asserting, here you may come and say, no, it is also a matter. There is nothing changing. Uh, there is nothing unchanging. Everything is just a flow of change. And the consciousness is an epiphenomenon. From that change, somehow it has evolved. Like a chemical reaction, we know that through the chemical reaction, two substances meet to make some other compound. Like that consciousness has evolved by the intermingling of matter. Somehow it has evolved. We may put it as a hypothesis. So here Bhagavan is asserting that this is the thing which is not a hypothesis which I am speaking of. It is not a matter. It is Tattva. Those who know it, they are the Tattva Darshi who has seen the truth that there is an unchanging reality. That Sat in our scripture has been defined as Trikal Avadhita. The one whose existence is not interrupted by any phase of time, past, present, future. It was, it is, and it will be. But is it that though it is eternal, but it is aging? That's what we sometimes think. That whenever we have the idea that God is eternal, you will find that most of the religions, when they are trying to depict the form of God, they will depict as an old man. The idea is that as he is there for eternal, he must be aging. So he's an old man. Very interesting that he was aging, he became an old man, and then as an old man, he is now eternal. No more uh, aging going on and that he stays as an old man through eternity. So this is our limitation of our ideas. That's that's why we have that's why in the scripture very nicely it has been mentioned that he is Trikal Avadita and at the same time he is a Purana. Not he. Very interesting. In this Sat, in the next sloka it will we will find the word which has been indicated to indicate that reality is Tat. It is neuter gender. Neither male nor female. Behind it is transcends all the ideas of duality. No gender. It is just as it is without any change. That which is Trikal Avadita, Avadita is Purana. What is the word Purana means? Pura Api Navaiva. It is an eternal present. It's ever aging, never old. It is the truth is something which is eternal present. Truth never was. Truth never will be. It is always is. Truth is. Because there is no change. So you cannot use the word 
will be and was is no cannot be future tense it is always as it is it is all the transformations which makes us aware of time there is nothing called time time evolves when the phenomenon existence come into being being where all the changes are perceptible when there are changes then the question of time comes that this such and such such thing was like this now it has become like this the phase that which demarcates that previous form to the future form speaks of the time if anything is just as it is no change the concept of time falls there collapses there there cannot be any time so that ultimate truth let's see how wonderful the words were is purana pura api navaiva ever aging never old it is the eternal present there cannot be any change in it and anything which is changing is asat that arjuna is giving so much importance to the kith and kin as the person as a person each and every one of us are asat we never exist as a psychophysical being because we are going through the six changes we were born before our birth as a psychophysical being i was not existing after my death as a psychophysical existence i don't exist between this two for a short period i exist and that too i am going through lot of changes it is not that uh, when when it exists it is not transforming constantly transforming and there are six types of transformation which the scripture speaks of which the our vedanta speaks of of six changes any uh, thing in the world goes through these six changes what are they it's not only we even the sun the moon the planets animate inanimate any object is going as long as they exist they were not existing they won't exist and as long as they are existing they are going through change what are the changes at first they come into existence jayate asti they will be staying there for some time and the time for which they will exist first they will grow vardhate and then the growth will stop viparinamate transformation will start apakshiyate the sun will become a huge red giant ball the decay process has started that's what science says the earth also will be engulfed with that giant ball the process of decay has started and then nothing will be there nasti so these all is in the phenomenal plane of existence what is seen in the sun the moon even in our short life there's the same thing we are born we exist as a young person we grow from the small infant to the toddler the kid the young man and then in the middle age we start transforming old age comes the decay process ensues nasty to death the sun the moon the galaxies the human being all following the same law so that that, that is also a part of the rhythm of this asat asat is 
not there, but the rhythm in Asat is there, which is something universal. That also is not Mata, that is the Tattva. But real, on the other hand, is always the same. The one who is witnessing this change is the same. It's not only the one who is witnessing the change within me, the same witness who is witnessing the change within me is actually witnessing the change in the entire universe. The same witness, the Atman is the Brahman. And that's the Sat. That's the pure existence. It has no change. It is just the witness. The moment I get identified with that, there is no destruction for me. All our afflictions because of the changes is because of our identification with something which I am not. So the entire phenomenal existence is asat because even for an infinitely small fraction of time, there is not a moment where transformation is not going on. That's how the scripture speaks of. Even if you take one second, divide it into thousand parts, maybe again you divide it into thousand parts, and you, you may think that that's the small part for which the things are not changing most probably. No. In the same thing we will find in the signs they're indicating that constantly these subatomic particles are being created. At the initial stage, it is totally just coming into existence and dissolving. Somehow, for us, that span has increased a little more. And that's what we see as the existence. But that also is changing. It's incessant change. And nothing is there which is not changing. And that's why scripture in one word say it is all asat. When anything which is in the flow is asat. The one who is witnessing that flow. He is always there. Who is he? Can I indicate? No. Because he is the subject. The subject can never be objectified. But it is always there. So that's the essence of my being, which I can never negate. Even the doubter of the self is the self. That's how even in Western uh, psychology, we find uh, that they... Uh, try to indicate that this existence of the self by saying the doubter of the self is the self. The one who is doubting the existence of the self is the self. It cannot be found out. So that's why there are so many uh, jokes even in our psychology. They say it is that uh, the search for the self, how it is? It is like searching a peach dark cat in a dark room, peach dark room, a black cat, you're searching in a dark room, no light is there. And then at last, the last phrase is very important. It is like searching the dark black cat in the peach dark room, which is not there. <laughs> so it is like that they say. So it is true, true in a sense that if you try to objectify the subject, it can never be objectified based on which you can find the existence of other things, but that you can never get hold of. Just to say, can you as such 
find out, just uh, realize, get hold of gravitation as it is. What is gravitation? Unless an object is falling, can you know the existence of gravitation? Cannot. A falling object makes me realize that there is a force which attracts all, all the objects mutually, each other, they're all being attracted. If the object is nothing, I, there is no object. Can you realize gravitation? If I don't see the iron filings being pulled by the magnet, can I ever know what magnetism is? Impossible. So similarly, the real, the core of my being, as such, I cannot objectify it. But because of that, all the eternal changes which is going on, because of that, and by seeing the changes, all this happening, I can then infer about the existence of the self. Intellectually, I can infer, which through my spiritual practice can be realized. That's the assertion of the scriptures. That there is a step whereby calming down the mind. First, I start by not by identifying with all the dualities of life, withdraw myself. When I withdraw from withdrawn myself from the external world, I will find that actually the world is not there. You close my eyes, the real world is in the mind. I may run away from the world. You cannot get rid of your mind. There all the same dualities are going on in the form of your thoughts. Your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings still exist. We have to, the real challenge is there just to get rid of the external sunset world is easy, but to stop the vagaries of the mind, that's the challenge. And once you can do that, we can do that and experience the equipoise of the mind. And then that portal starts opening. That what the scripture is speaking of, you start realizing that. And that's the quest of all our scriptures. We sometimes say that Buddha was atheist. He didn't believe in something beyond the phenomenal existence. The idea of Shunya. But if you read the Buddhist, uh, Buddha's own words, you would find actually he was silent. He never spoke of it. But what he was doing, he was showing the way to reach there. Why he preferred not to speak of it? Because in his time, he experienced one thing. That the thing which is the subject can never be objectified. But that's what all the scriptures were doing. Instead of giving importance to calm down the mind and try to realize yourself, what we were doing, you will find there was an eternal fight among the scriptures, how all the six philosophies came, Sharadarshana, because of that eternal fight to ascertain the nature of that ultimate reality through our intellect, which can never be done. And Buddha was aware of that fact that we have got sidetracked because of our false pursuit. 
of trying to find out the nature of the ultimate truth, which we can never do with our intellect. And that's why all the fighting, the constantly that in the olden days that became the fad of the day, that in any assembly of the king assembly, that to prove that you are a quite intelligent person, you have to defeat other in form of some dialogues, some others who is the Sabha Pandita, who has been already recognized by the king as the royal uh, uh, professor. You have to defeat him to take his position. So there was, we say that uh, our civilization was extremely tolerant. They were not uh, using the weapons to kill the infidels. But can we deny that the useless fight was going on in ascertaining the absolute reality? And Buddha is the rebel child of Hinduism. He found that that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that Buddha is a rebel child of Hinduism. He found what's going on. And he thought that instead of giving importance to the way to realize that, they are all lost in just trying to determine that abs the nature of the reality through intellectual speculations. That can never be. That's why he was silent about it. But what his endeavor was to show the way. That is a way by which you can reach that state. So if you ask, what's that? Buddha will never speak. He was silent. And now just see how the attempts of all the avatars, Buddha is also considered as an avatar, fails. That when God comes down and speaks of God, we don't realize what God is. And when God comes down and be silent about God, we again do the mistake. We say God don't, is not there. He's Shunya. He's not Shunya. There is something which is beyond these changes. This, this changes is not the reality. So whatever is changed, is changing, is Asat. So that's the thing. As a Tattva, God is placing in front of Arjuna. Na Asata Vidyate Bhava. Na Abhava Vidyate Sataha. The eternal witness behind this change. There is, that is, uh, what you say, there is no Abhava. That is always is. There is no cessation of that existence of the witness. The one who has realized this, he is no more in the domain of Mata. He has now realized. So he is a Tattvadarshi. He has seen the truth. To understand this, this the same examples which we have used so many times in other contexts, I will just give here. That to realize the truth is alone. Uh, the one who has realized the truth alone is Tattvadarshi. All have just Mata. All are just Matas. Those are those all the six philosophies when they are fighting amongst each other. It's all Mata. The one who has realized the truth is a Tattvadarshi. A simple example, which we give again and again. In so many contexts, we have uh, illustrated this example. But suppose a man who have tested the mango and goes to a group of people who have never tested the mango and just explains them the taste of mango. 
It's extremely sweet fruit. It has a wonderful flavor. All those who have not tested the mango try to intellectually understand those words because they've never tested. So they all start forming mata opinions. Some say, oh, I have tested so many things which are sweet. So it must be sweet like the molasses. And most probably it has a flavor, a wonderful that molasses somehow is permeated with the smell, the fragrance of jasmine. So molasses permeated, fragrant, what you said is flavored with this fragrance of jasmine. That's what mango tastes like. Is a matter. Someone else says, no, it's the honey which has been flavored with the fragrance of rose. Again, another matter. It's all the same thing which they speak. They're relating to that word and they're speaking. They're speaking. Just see, they're, as per their words are concerned, it's in no way transgressing the words of the one who has spoken the truth, have seen the truth. That, of course, it is sweet. It has a flavor. But will you agree with any of those who have not tasted the mango and is, has developed an opinion, a matter? They all actually are false. They're not a single of them are true. But among those group who have this various matter opinion, about the taste of mango, if one of them somehow by chance tests the mango, what will happen? Immediately he will become a tattvadarshi. He will understand all these opinions are just noise. It has no substance. Yes, mango is of course sweet. Of course it has a wonderful flavor. But unless you test it, you don't know what it is. So that is the one which is the idea of tattva. So realization alone is the tattva. Before that, it is all when I say that there is some existence which is not changing. Still, it is matter. It's simply words. So why the word tattva has been used in this sloka? Just to say that what I say is not a matter of mere belief. I assert you it can be realized. Just the way you can test the mango and know the taste of mango. Similarly, that the witness, which is a, uh, what you say, everlasting, is something which is not a matter. At present, it is a matter for you because I know, even if I say that the witness is always there. Yes, for my entire life, the point from where I, I was born till I die, though I'm going through the changes, I know that amnes is unaffected, that I know. But what's the proof that before my birth, that amnes was still there? After my death, that amnes is still going to be there. There is some eternal witness behind it. What's the proof? There's no proof. So anyone can easily say it is a matter. So that's why Bhagavan is using the word tattva, that don't just simply believe in my word and think that the one, the amnes which you're realizing through your life, in the short phase, is actually eternal. That is a belief. There is a way to realize that. And the one who does that is the Tattva Darshi. That's why the word Tattva Darshi is very important here. The one who has realized the witness by diving deep into his being, by going transcending the mind and finding out the existence which is eternal, 
beyond the noise of the mind. He has gone still deep down to find that eternal existence, always there, comes back from that state as a tattvadarshi to assert to the fact that what has been spoken of here as here, na satu vidyate bhava, na abhava vidyate sataha. So that's how we will find, that's why these words are so important. Each and every word, if you go to the etymological meaning of it, the entire meaning starts getting revealed. That's why the Sanskrit language is extremely technical. Now it is in philosophy, there is a branch of philosophy which have started saying that language is religion. If you study the way the language has evolved in various cultures, you can find out the belief system hidden inside the language. Just with out of the topic, I will uh, give an example. In Bengali, if we find a small child is, has not developed the intellect, he's a bit dull, dull, dull-witted. So the words we use is very interesting. That what they will say is buddhu, kabla. In Bengali, they say kabla. So these are very colloquial words. But you know, our entire philosophy, our entire thought system is even hidden inside with this colloquial language, kabla. You know from where the word kabla came? In yoga philosophy, they say that when the, when you, when the ultimate realization happens, when you, that ultimate, what happens? You realize that you are the soul which for its existence, there is no need for the crutch of the mind and the senses. At present, I think without mind, without senses, I am, no, I am not. When you go to that realization, you find the senses, the, you don't need the senses and the mind as a crutch to assert your existence, a fall off. You stand alone by your own right. To stand alone by your own right, this alone in Sanskrit is called kevala. From that, the term kaivalya, when you reach that state, when you know that you, you stand alone by your own right as a conscious principle, eternal, when you know that, you have reached that state of kaivalya, that kevala atma kaivalya. Now this boy of dull wit has as if already reached that state, he is already beyond mind. So just see how they are relating, that the idea of kaivalya is related in a very negative way to explain the state of that child as kabla. They're using a word for colloquial language, but behind it, the entire philosophy is hidden. The same thing with the word buddhu. When you reach the state of buddha, again, you are beyond mind. This boy is already beyond mind. So he's buddhu. So in the language, the entire philosophy of that culture is hidden. If you can find out the origin of the, these words, you can find the philosophy. And that's why in Bhagavad Gita, when we study, to read between the lines, to go to the word, what that word actually means is very important. Otherwise, we will miss the point. We will just Again, the way, uh, the way we are habituated, just to go on intellectualizing with this locus and think that we have understood everything and that we are spiritual. 
the same mistake we will do unless we really go to the real etymological meaning of the words and find out the meaning between the lines between the words it is almost impossible to find out the real significance of the slokas and unless we find out the real significance it can never motivate us for the real spiritual journey it will remain only in the intellectual intellectual level that's why swami vivekananda very plainly have mentioned that most of us after reading lot of scriptures lot of uh, books pertaining to the perennial philosophies starts thinking that i am progressing spiritually he say he is saying that know it for certain yes your intellectual your intellectuality is getting sharpened intellectually you are getting sharpened your intellectual is getting intellectuality is getting sharpened like the age of a razor just like the age of a razor can cut anything and everything your intellect can cut the views of others but in no way you are getting established in the real nature and know it for certain that intellectuality is like a double edged sword anything in the world you can prove you can disapprove you can again deny with your intellectuality that's the limitation of intellectuality intellectuality never proves the truth we find it happening again and again in the legal system if the lawyer to whom why that's why we always choose the lawyer why not that i can go myself and present the truth if i have seen the truth if i if i am truthful what doesn't allow me to not resort to the lawyers and just go and speak the truth because this is not the truth is the language which is important and that the behind the language that intellectuality that's why as as long as we are in the domain of mata this intellectuality has an importance it can prove anything it can disapprove anything our swami sridharananda ji goes on uh, in many lectures he will be relating a incident which happened in his childhood in calcutta the british calcutta there was a lawyer of high reputation and it so happened that a person when he came to some that uh, he started he had some quarrel with his neighbor on some trivial matter and this they became so excited they came to blows and this man got so angry that the blow proved proved to be fatal the other man died but it was at the spur of moment that thing happened that the blow was really flat a fatal blow and people were witnessing it many have witnessed now the one who killed the other person his wife now was in a very uh, extremely de- dejected state that my husband is bound to be arrested and he will be in jail for how many years we don't know and i will be just totally uh, without any support and you know in the olden days the woman folk never worked and she was pregnant with a child and if it so happens that she is in jail how will we sustain so she somehow knew this this reputed lawyer she ran to him and just explained the the situation and told somehow you have to save me the lawyer told that how can i save you so many witnesses are there you know i don't know anything that's why i came to you 
just see my condition it was at the spur of moment it has happened actually he is not a criminal as such but the crime happened at the spur of the moment it happened but he is not a very bad person it happened at the spur of moment and now my life is going to be shattered please save me at last he took the case but this lawyer was having the having of was used to uh, drink a lot so on the day of hearing when he went he was totally drunk and seeing the one the one who is accused he started saying who can save him he in the broad daylight in front of all has killed that person and started just reasoning that there is no way he can be saved the judge sitting there understood he knew that this lawyer some is sometimes get bit more drunk he is not in uh, his wit so the judge suddenly stopped him and told well my dear lawyer i thought it is for the on the favor of the accused that uh, you are supposed to speak and now he understood what he was doing he told yes my lord that's the thing i am i'm trying to do actually what my opponent lawyer will say, has to say that i myself repeated now i will just go on proving that what he had to, all his judgments are wrong the what he told and he, de- he really just at that moment he started proving that what all he has, himself has told is not correct and he managed to somehow save that accused from being jailed and it was a news on those days in the newspapers it's a pure matter of intellect the double edged sword with this we see every day in our day to day life the so called the think tank that's what they are doing proving disapproving the think tank is doing that thing deluding the entire world with their opinions and we get swayed by their opinions these are all matter and then at last we find now and then in the history a buddha comes the calm one and nothing can sway him from their conviction a ramakrishna comes a christ comes and nothing can sway them they have seen the truth you crucify them they will say the same truth a sufi saint when in islam al haq means the truth in the sufism they started saying an al haq and it was considered as blasphemy the moment you add an it becomes i am the truth and they were immediately censored stop it all this nonsense it's a blasphemy how can you be the truth but they went on it was the realization all those whirling and dancing was from the realization like shiva dancing after the realization hara hara vyam vyam it's like that hara hara vyam vyam means in that realization you find everything has vanished hara only vyoma the space alone is there there is no phenomenal existence you exist by your own right as the infinite reality so that's what he is dancing here also we find anal haq leading to that whirling dance of the sufis that i am that reality for that they were persecuted amputated limb by limb and they were asked stop saying that till the last moment of their death that's the what they were saying whirling and saying anal haq i am the truth nothing can swerve them from the realization because there is a tattva 
And that's the thing God is saying, that just don't intellectualize it. There's a way to realize. And once you realize that, then you become a divine worker. Then you can really with the equipoise, understand the plan of the divine and become an instrument of it. You need not have to go through all those effervescence of the emotions, frothling of the emotions. At present, I think unless that emotions are there, it cannot motivate me to action. The entire Gita speaks of that, that actually it is just the opposite. You have to calm down your mind, go beyond the, this frothing of emotions. And then only the real divine worker can manifest from within you. And you are changed, the world will be changed. Atmana Moksha, Jagat Hita. So only then it can happen. And that's what the God will be relating through the succeeding slokas. With this, we stop our discussion today. Uh, next Sunday, the class will remain cancelled because it is in falling in the Navaratri. Then during the Navaratri, uh, we don't have our classes generally. So after the Navaratri, uh, so the, I most probably it is on 17th. The next class we will have on 17th of October. So with this, we conclude our class today. Thank you all. Namaskars.